What's going on, guys? This is Q&A number nine, and I wanted to do – there's literally 300-something questions here. I want to try and get to most of them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through them, and I'm going to probably set my timer for half an hour, 45 minutes, and we're going to end up probably doing two or three parts. Uh, that way uh, I can get to more questions, and I'll just – instead of making one three-hour video, we can just do it that way. So. I also want to say thank you for the excitement uh, about my supplement brand. It should be out before the new year or early in the new year, hopefully January or mid-December before Christmas. And we're going to start pre-orders hopefully by mid-November uh, if everything keeps going the way it's been going. But there's been a lot of excitement, a lot of emails, a lot of people willing to help with like uh, graphic design and sales and different stores contacting me. And I just want to say before we start, I just want to say thank you to everybody. It is a scary thing starting a business. It is a scary thing starting a business, especially in such a saturated market with so many of the supplement companies. Uh, I am just going to try and carve out my little niche, which is bodybuilding and serious lifters and try and give you guys the best of what I can think of. And, um, I hope that it goes well, you know, but, uh, like I said, I just wanted to say thank you anyways to everybody who's supporting us, uh, before I go on. Oh, and the last thing is just follow hostile subs, H O S S T I L E. It's two S's in hostile and subs S U P P S. Uh, the link will be in the description, follow hostile subs, uh, on Instagram because we're going to be rolling out things slowly as we go over the next three months. So you guys have questions about flavors, or ingredients, or formulas, or dosages. Uh, we're going to be doing little like how-tos and little information pieces about uh, why things, certain things are important in your supplements. Um, and we'll have giveaways and things like that. So just follow Hostile Subs and get on board with the brand if uh, you're, you're excited about it. And uh, you know that way you guys can get all the information first uh, before anybody else. Anyway, without further ado... Let's get into the Q and A's. I'm going to set my timer here for, let's do 45 minutes and then it'll be time for me to eat anyway. So that'll work out for everybody. Let's do 40 minutes and I'll get through as many of these as possible, but still while giving good answers, start. Okay. So the first question is from Sebov Merm. I'm not going to put these up on the screen because it's just going to take too much time. So I'll go through these one at a time. When did you decide that you wanted to become, or at least try to become a pro? Uh, I've answered this in previous Q and A's. It was after my second victory. I did my first two shows were kind of like just for fun. And I won the overall at both after the second victory. I kind of thought to myself, I could be getting better. It was kind of a progression. I, I started to think about it after my second victory. Um, the third show I did, I took third place and then I did the nationals. I took fifth out of 20. Every time I hit it, me and Patrick Moore talked about this in my podcast. I had set benchmarks for myself. Okay. If I can win this show, if I can do the show, if I can qualify for this show, if I can, I kind of set these little benchmarks or little goals for myself before thinking about the long-term thing. One of the things that people do horribly wrong in this lifestyle sport, whatever you want to call it. Uh, is they they come in and they say, I want to be a pro. 
They come to me and they say, I want to be a pro. I, I just started working out. I want to be a pro. Okay. It's good to have huge dreams. Okay. But small goals, huge dreams, small goals. Okay, that's how it works. So when you think I want to be a pro, when you come to me and ask me for help or go to a coach and ask them for help, you should say, I want to be a pro, but my goal is to win my first show. Cause then the coach will take you seriously. If you go to a coach and you say, I've been bodybuilding for, I've never bodybuilt before. I've been bodybuilding for six months. I want to be a pro bodybuilder. Nobody takes that seriously. You would never do that in another sport. You wouldn't walk, walk onto the high school football field and be like, I'm going to play in the NFL. You would as a dream, but, or actually I'll, I'll take the analogy even further. You would never like have not played football in your life and go walk on to the Detroit lions or the new England Patriots or whoever is your team, go walk on to their tryout and be like, I want to play pro football. That would never happen because people would laugh at your fucking laugh in your face. Okay. And if you'd never played football before, you would probably suck unless you just like had this, you're a phenom of some sort. So bodybuilding is the same thing. It's easier to become a pro as a bodybuilder, obviously, than it is to play in the NFL. But if you want people to take you seriously, you have to emphasize that you're willing to work. And that means I want to be a pro, but I want to win my first show, or I want to do well at my first show, or I want to see how the next few shows go. Because some people don't think like that. Some people just think I want to be a pro. They don't set any small benchmarks for themselves. They go and they do their first show and they get their ass handed to them. And then they wonder, well, maybe I'm not made for this. Maybe I'm not good enough for this sport. Maybe this sport's not for me. No, you just set your expectations way too fucking high. Focus on the small goals, not the big dreams. If you master the small details, the big dreams will come in time. I never really wanted to turn pro. I just wanted to get on stage. I wanted them like, how good, how good can I be at this? And as I started to get through the benchmarks, the first show, the second show, the third show, the nationals got a couple wins under my belt, got a couple good placings under my belt. I started to think, you know what? There's no reason why I can't do this. And like I said, it's really good to have that confidence from day one. I know I can be a pro. I know it. It's not a, it's no thing. I'm going to make sure it happens. It's great to have that kind of confidence, but you have to have the realistic expectations. I know I can be a pro. I know I can win my first show. I'm going to go kill this regional show. That's how your thought process should be. I get emails from people who just started working out who are like, I want to step on the Olympia stage. I'm like, okay, prove to yourself that you can win your local show first. It's all about setting benchmarks. And then those benchmarks will tell you if you can turn pro or not. Owen Jessup one says, what's your advice for people who don't like eating in the morning? Suck it up. It doesn't fucking matter if you like eating or not. We're not intermittent fasting. We're putting on muscle. Okay. Our goal, the people who are watching this, watching this channel, watching me, follow me, I'm going to assume that your goal is to put on a maximum amount of muscle as possible, as fast as possible. Now, it doesn't matter if you're men's physique, classic physique, if you're women's bodybuilding, if you're open bodybuilding, if you're 212, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're just a hobby lifter. If you're a serious lifter, your goal is to maximize the amount of muscle you put on, okay? So 
there's no such thing as I don't feel like eating. That doesn't fucking count. That doesn't, that does not come into my vocabulary. And if it does, it's, it's not, it's quickly erased by my mental framework going, who gives a shit if you feel like eating or not? It's been three hours. That's the max you're going to go without eating. Go make a fucking meal and eat it. So the same thing happens in the morning. There's mornings when I wake up when I don't feel like eating breakfast, but it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. This is a job. It's not a game. So it's not about, well, I don't feel like eating breakfast today. I'm not going to eat breakfast. That's fine. You can be that way. You want to be that way. That's good. But the next guy who's going to stand on stage next to you had breakfast every fucking day and he's going to show up and beat the shit out of you on stage. I know that sounds harsh and I know it sounds like I'm angry, but there's a difference between anger and aggression. You have to be aggressive in this game. You have to have aggression. You have to, and that does not mean angry. It means chasing after your goals, whether you want them or not. Whether you want to eat or not is irrelevant. If being the best at your goal says you got to eat fucking breakfast, you've been starving all night, your body is starving, you've been sleeping for eight hours, you have to feed it. Get up, make the eggs, make the oatmeal, make the egg whites, do whatever your breakfast calls for, get it in. It's not that hard. And if... If you're having a lot of trouble eating in the morning, sometimes on a more scientific side of things and not so emotional, sometimes you have to look at the meal you ate the night before. Is your last meal of the night too big? Are are you eating so much fat? Like let's say you're eating steak and eggs for your last meal, plus you're having oatmeal, plus there's peanut butter in it, and you're having a whole bunch of fruit, and so there's tons of fiber, and then now you have tons of fiber and tons of fat and tons of carbs. And you wake up in the morning and you're still not digested. Everything's still kind of just sitting in your gut. Maybe your last meal of the night's too big. Maybe you need to switch it to like protein powder and oatmeal or just protein powder and peanut butter. One scoop of peanut butter, two scoops of protein powder, slam it. It digests by morning time. You're hungry. And it's not going to happen the first time. If you're one of these people who habitually does not eat in the morning, you have to change your body's rhythm. Okay. So if you go, okay, I'm going to listen to food tonight. I'm going to do two scoops of protein powder and one scoop of peanut butter. And then you do it and you wake up in the morning. You're like, I'm still not hungry. That doesn't matter. Give it a month. Do that for a month and watch the cleaner your diet is also that matters. So if you're eating like a whole bunch of shitty food, like for meal four and five, and it's still going to affect you. Clean up your diet, shrink your last meal, and do that for a couple weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And you'll notice every day it'll get a little easier to have breakfast. And the reason I can tell you this is in the off season, sometimes my meals get too big. When my meals get too big, I can wake up in the morning and I'm not hungry. I'll still force the meal down, but I don't really want to eat. When I start dieting for a, comp- a competition and the diet's really, really clean and the last, the meals are starting to get smaller, I wake up starving. Okay. And I was never a morning eater in, in high school and in university and college, I would go without eating till like four o'clock in the afternoon. So this is not like, Oh, well he, he's been like this his whole life. No, I had to work. I used to bounce till four in the morning and then wake up at 12 o'clock in the afternoon 
and not eat till two. So this is something I've had to train myself to do. And now I enjoy it because now I've trained my body. My body's rhythm is I got to get up. I got to have breakfast. And now breakfast is my favorite, favorite meal of the day. So you got to make those changes and see where you end up. Two trends says how prevalent are opiates, rec drugs, and bodybuilding? Old school bodybuilders use new bane. How much have you heard about that? My honest to God uh, answer to that is I don't know anybody who uses new bane. In fact, I don't know very many bodybuilders who use painkillers, period. Especially shit like NSAIDs, even Advil and shit, because uh, it does wreak such havoc on your kidneys and your stomach lining. And I think bodybuilders are, even though we take, maybe take more now than they did in the past, I feel like we're, and even though some of the statistics are worse, I feel like we're learning more about how to be healthier bodybuilders. The problem is we're also bigger bodybuilders now. So that's why the statistics are so bad. Cause I feel like the size of that we are for the period, for the duration is why we're getting hurt. But anyway, back to your question. Uh, I don't know anybody who uses painkillers like that, like new or and shit like that. Um, that doesn't mean nobody does. I just don't know anybody or nobody has told me that they do. And, uh, as far as opiates and rec drugs, I've heard some people do, uh, not a lot though. Even the guys that I do think or do know go out and party. It's not, it's, it's not prevalent as it was, I think earlier on in my career, some of the guys, I used to look, look up to, they were the ones at the after parties and shit like that. I'm not going to mention any names, but the guys on the circuit today, when I think about everybody, you know, people enjoy a drink. Some people smoke a little weed or eat some edibles, whatever. But I don't know too many people anymore that are pros anyway, that are heavy into like, you know, partying with like Coke and ecstasy or whatever. I don't, but I'm far removed from that scene too. I mean, that, that doesn't, none of that stuff is part of my life anymore. So yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I don't, I don't see it myself to be honest with you. Uh, Eric Maldonado, Maldonado 17 says, how was the test run with your new pre-workout? Um, absolutely awesome. Now I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. So I'm super happy with the flavor. One of the flavors is being tweaked a little bit, but one of the flavors is my favorite. Um, feeling wise is actually amazing. Now this is the, this is the, this is the only drawback that I'm having or, or issue I'm having. I'm not a big stim guy. I don't like, I don't like pre-workouts that have a ton of stim in them, but I also don't like pre-workouts that have no stim in them. So what I did was put a modest amount, not the craziest on the market, but a good amount. But I didn't want to go extreme with it because it's not really what I like to do. Um, so I've been letting people test it because, you know, I'm not the only one who's going to try it. And I'm also a little older and some of the younger guys like a different kind of feeling. So I'm like, okay, let's see how everybody feels. So I've been giving it out. Most people have the same reaction I have and they love it. But one person I gave it to um, felt like it was a little mild on the stim side. Now this person's also younger. And I found that I found that younger people that are just starting out not necessarily age, but even people just starting out in bodybuilding generally want that stim feeling because they don't know they don't recognize the pump feeling as much as they recognize just the energy 
energy boost. So I think we're going to bump the caffeine a little bit. It's still not going to be as extreme as some of the other companies. Um, cause like I said, I, I just don't believe in high stim. Like some, I don't, I'm not going to mention any names, but some companies are up around four or 500 milligrams of these stim blends. And I just, I, I feel like it's too high. Um, some people might like that, but I don't want to, I don't want to push that kind of thing. Cause it's not really my thing. Maybe down the road we'll do like an extreme version for those people. Uh, but for now I want it to just be a, a very well balanced uh, pre-workout was so far, like I said, uh, most people have given it like nine out of tens, 10 out of tens. Everyone's pretty happy with it. I had one person tell me they need more stim in it. Uh, that's the only drawback so far, but it's exciting. You know, it's exciting regardless because I, I'm still in that phase where I can make those changes. I can make changes to flavors. I can make changes to formula just because see the height of ignorance is to say, well, my formula is the best. I'm not going to change it. I don't care what you say. This is the way it's going to go. I think that's the height of stupidity. I think a smart person or at least a reasonable person looks at this and goes, okay, I love this. That doesn't mean everybody else is going to love this. Let me figure out what everybody thinks. So I've been giving out samples to all different, all different age groups, men, women, whatever. And uh, serious lifters, hobby lifters, weekend warriors, everybody's, everybody can find because I want all those opinions. I want to feel like, does the, does the weekend warrior, does the weekend warrior feel like it's way too much or does it still feel good for him or her? Does the serious lifter feel like it's not enough? And it's like, you know, so I'm trying to create the perfect blend that the serious lifter loves because that's my main focus is bodybuilders and serious lifters. But even the weekend warrior can take and be like, yeah, I love the way this tastes and I love the way it makes me feel. So we're working on it. It's exciting. It's, uh, it's kind of reinvigorated my passion for bodybuilding the way when it was when I first started competing. So this is all kind of brand new to me. So thanks for the question. And, uh, I hope you guys all love it when you try it. Armonier says what, what, okay. The English is a little messed up here. I think what are you think about increasing frequency? I train each muscle group three times. He's, I think he's asking, what do you think about training frequency is three times a week too much or not enough? Uh, I think three times a week is too much for the majority of muscle groups. Personally, this is just for me. I know some guys do a push pull legs and they, that can hit, they can hit a body part three times a week for me in the way I train three times a week would destroy me. It just too much. The most I've ever done is twice a week, each body, every body part twice a week. The only body part I could say you could do three times a week is something like forearms or something like calves. I don't think three times a week is necessary for other body parts. Um, because it can just get too taxing. I mean, even if you could do it, you would do it for two, three, four weeks, and then you're probably going to burn out. So if you want to do it as a shock program, like, Okay, I'm going to hit this hard for two weeks and then we're going to shock the fuck out of everything. Cool. And then scale back. Yeah. But I think if you're doing an ongoing basis, you're either a freak or you're not training hard enough because if you're training hard enough, you should be sore for a couple of days. It wouldn't leave enough room to train each muscle group three times a week. Jake Cofield says, Lower back development for someone with bulging discs and degenerate disc disease. Um, 
Jake, I will tell you this because I had three bulging discs in my back at, through an MRI that's proven, that was proven. One, get an inversion table because the best way to stretch your spine is on a traction table, but they cost a fortune. So you can buy an inversion table for like 300 bucks. Okay, go to Costco, my favorite place. You can order, <laughs> order from wherever you want. I got mine from Costco. It was like 300 bucks. And um, you don't have to go all the way upside down. You have to start at a modest angle and go from there. But you just need 10 minutes a day. So that will start to separate your spot, stretch out your spine a bit and give your discs room. So the bulging disc thing will, thing will start to calm down a bit. That's step one. Step two is in the gym, you can still deadlift. Well, I, I was still deadlifting and I was still barbell rowing and I was still T-bar rowing, but that's where I made dead stops a main part of my workout. If you do dead stop T-bar rows, do you know when you're doing a T-bar row and you lift the weight and then you come down and there's a really strenuous part on your lower back where you're at the bottom of the rep? before you come back up, you can eliminate that strain by hitting the ground. And I don't mean bouncing it off the ground. I mean, I would drop the weight, hit the ground one to two seconds on the ground and then pull back up. I'm sure you've seen me do it in some videos or you can look it up and see me do it in videos. Um, that dead stop takes that vulnerable position out of the movement. It does the same thing on deadlifts. It does the same thing on, on barbell rows. It, doing a dead stop, alleviates that strain out of your back out of trying to hold the weight before you're on the way back up. So try out some dead stops, but more importantly, get yourself an inversion table every day, 10 minutes, and you'll see your back will start, the pain will start to alleviate itself. And if you're, I'm not sure what your weight is, but if you're overweight, start working on reducing your weight and start doing some core exercises, do a lot of vacuums, a lot of planks, the stronger you can get your core, the stronger you can get your, uh, your transverse abdominis, the, the muscle lining, the muscle muscles underneath your abs by doing vacuums and, and planks and things like that, uh, the more they can help your back. So all these things have to work in combination. Ronan AL3 says, should I split 50 milligrams of oxandrolone dose twice a day, 25 milligrams every 12 hours, or just take it once a day pro or post-workout? I can't tell you what to do. Uh, you have to decide for yourself. Uh, when I did, I don't even like uh, oxandrolone that much, but when I did do it a long time ago, uh, I would just do 50 about an hour and a half before I trained, and that was it. Aaron For Real Fit says, do you think all enhanced bodybuilders will have to be on TRT and dependent on synthetic tests? Or is it possible to be a top pro that comes off and eventually after competing regain his natural test levels? Uh, I think each case is going to be different. My test levels were never normal, even from the beginning. So part of my issue is genetic. Uh, but I think every issue, every person is going to be different, right? Depends. It depends how hard you went on a, on test. It depends how long you were on. Depends how many cycles you've been on. Depends how many years you've been on. It depends if you go all the way off or you're just cruising. So you're always on constantly. Like there are so many variables. It's hard to answer this question and give you a real answer because literally everybody's going to be different. I'm sure there are some pros that are going to go off and 
they're going to just go off completely and they may be fine. I have friends like that who took it for a long time and then they decided to stop doing what they were doing. They didn't want to compete anymore or whatever. And now they're fine. They're natural. They have kids and they have their normal test dose and they have their normal sex life. Um, and that is them. And then there's other people like when I go off, my test levels plummet to zero, which is not healthy. Now, will they ever come back? Possibly. I don't know. I mean, hopefully when I'm done competing and I retire, I can test that theory out and see what happens. But for now, it's not going to come back in three months. So I will never know because I'm not going to go off longer than three months if I plan to compete. So I think basically what I'm trying to say is each case is going to be different. It depends on the person's genetics, depends on their history of use, depends on uh, how hard they abused and how hard, how much health, their health, they worried about their health. All these things matter. Now, as far as taking TRT for the rest of my life, if I do have to, that doesn't really bother me. I have family members. I have friends who have never bodybuilt, have never lifted a weight in their life. And they have to take it anyway, just at a certain age. You know, the people get to like 40, 45 years old, they start noticing things are sluggish. Their sex life is sluggish. They're sluggish. Their moods are all over the place. When they get tested, their test levels are low and they have to go on TRT. They do a shot a week or whatever it is, like 100 milligrams, 200 milligrams. And um, those people have never been bodybuilders. So this is not something that's specific to bodybuilding or that, you know, people that aren't in bodybuilding will escape it. Nobody wants to have low tests. It just, it feels horrible. And I don't mean no, everybody wants bodybuilder tests, but when you're in single digits, that's not healthy for a male, right? Like that's where you get mood swings. That's where you, your sleep becomes an issue. That's where your appetite becomes an issue. Your sex life, because all these things are affected by your testosterone levels. So TRT doses of 100 to 200 milligrams a week for the average person who's never been a bodybuilder are quite normal. So I don't feel like bodybuilding did me wrong or anything. This is just part of life for a lot of people. Steve PR says, I recall you mentioning you had Osgood Schlatter disease in either both or one of your knees. Do you have any advice for other people with this issue? And has it affected your leg workouts? Perhaps there are certain machines you can and can't do because of it. Osgood Schlatter disease, for those of you who don't know, is a calcium formation at the very top of your tibial bone just underneath your kneecap. And the tendon, how can I explain it? If this is your kneecap, the tendon rolls over the kneecap and attaches in the tibia, like at the bottom here. And at this point, you can have a calcium buildup, which will pull on this tendon. And it stems from your quads. What I, from I, what I know, it stems from your quadriceps growing too fast. So this developed for me when I started bodybuilding. For a lot of people, it develops in their teens. It might have developed in my teens, but I never noticed it when I played football. I noticed it when I started bodybuilding, my legs started to grow. Now, um, the main thing I notice is this. Stretching your quads post-workout, icing your quads post-workout, using a lot of menthol cream, 11% of menthol or more like Tiger Bomb beforehand. So this is, what, this is my routine now. And it's, it's actually been working to keep my Osgood Schlatter in check. Because what it is, is if you can loosen up the tendon, if you can warm up the tendon, you won't feel it as much, okay? And if you can loosen up the quad, if you can 
get a lot of deep tissue massage and loosen up the quad because a lot of it comes from having really tight muscle and it's pulling on the tendon. So if you can loosen up the quad with a lot of massage or a lot of, um, a lot of stretching and then also warm up the tendon, you're way ahead of the game. So this is my routine is I put a lot of menthol cream on the Osgood Schlatter area, also on the kneecap, also above a couple inches above the kneecap and get that area all warm with the menthol cream before I get to the gym. I also wear either um, like a longer, longer pants or uh, three quarter tights or something like that to make sure the knee is covered. Or if you want, you can wear knee sleeves that also keep the knee warm. When I train, I haven't been able to squat properly since it started to flare up again. So, and I wasn't able to do hacks. They were bothering me too. But now since I've been doing this routine, I've been able to hack squat heavily. I haven't started, I haven't tried squatting yet, but I, I still don't think I can. But uh, at post-workout, after you're done your workout, and I, I just have to go lighter for a few weeks to get it, the inflammation to calm down. One of the things with tendonitis, whether it be your knees or your elbows or whatever, if it starts to get inflamed, you're going to have to lighten up the load for a couple of weeks while you're working on home therapy, like icing and menthol creams and wraps and all this other stuff. Because if you just keep pounding heavy, heavy, heavy weight, it's going to stay inflamed. So you have to recognize when you have an elbow issue or a knee issue or something, and you know, it's tendon related, you have to take a couple of weeks and scale back on things while you're doing the therapeutic things so that the tendon can reduce, you can reduce the inflammation in the tendon. Now, supplementally, you can help this by adding fish oils. Uh, if you do 5,000 milligrams of fish oil in the morning at night, that's going to be a major help to reducing inflammation in your body and helping your joints move better. Uh, you can also do it by doing like 500 milligrams of curcumin a day. So if you do 250 in the morning, 250 at night, uh, that will definitely also help reduce the inflammation in your body. Um, if you are crazy and you have the time ice baths, if you do an ice bath after every leg day or twice a week, your legs will feel like a million bucks. It'll reduce most of it. And I know some people will disagree with this, but I did it. And for me, it personally worked wonders. Like I reduced my legs never functioned so well. And I don't do them now because to be honest, they hurt. It's like, it's a bitch, you know, I have to go get all the ice and I have to do it. And it's, it's really a lazy thing, but I'm still managing to train. So it's not bad enough yet where I feel like I have to do it. But if you have a chronic pain, ice baths are the best way to go. Um, but yeah, that's the routine for Osgood Schlatter. That's usually the routine for any tendon issue. If it's really bad, I've talked to my surgeon, I might have him cut it out. Apparently the recovery is only two weeks and then you can start kind of training normally again. So if your Osgood Schlatter is like, you know, the size of a golf ball or half a golf ball, you can see your doctor and talk to a surgeon and they can cut it out. Now it's going to, I don't know how that's going to work with your healthcare, but it's always an option. Phil Killerin says three pieces of advice for bodybuilders starting after 35. Uh, the same as for bodybuilders starting at 20. They're, they're, it's not different. People ask me this all the time. What's your advice for a natural lifter versus an enhanced lifter? What's your advice for a 40-year-old bodybuilder versus a 20? You know the difference, 35 and 20? You're going to have to pay more attention. You can't binge as much because your, your digestive system is not going to work as well as a 20-year-old. 
and you're going to have to warm up better in the gym before squatting or before benching or before military press or whatever you're doing. You're going to have to do some more warm-up sets. Everything else is the same. You still have to eat. You still have to train like an animal. You still have to take the same supplements, the same drugs. You have to, it's all the same shit. It does not matter. It's the same formula. Eat, train, sleep, recover, do it again. Consistently for years. And then you'll get the physique you want. Curvin26 says, how do you reverse diet after competitions? I personally do not reverse diet. I see food and I eat it and I get as big as I can because that's just what I do and that's what I like. But if you're going to ask me, if you're a client of mine, you say I want to reverse diet and I don't want to get fat, um, I would literally just add a couple hundred calories to your diet that you're on before we started the show. So I would take your pre-show diet and just go add two to 300 calories every week uh, until you start to look soft. And then I would stop and stop you at that calorie count. It's not really that difficult. You know, you just keep small, small increments so your body can adjust to it. Eve Michael says, what fat burners have you used, if any, do you believe that they have a long-term effect on metabolism? Um, Thank you to Blue Star for the shaker cup. Um, I have used fat burners. Mostly my favorite fat burner, honestly, is just the, the common stack. Uh, ephedrine, caffeine, aspirin. I usually add some green tea uh, to that. Green tea extract and L-tyrosine. I just get raw ingredients and I stack them together myself. That's been my greatest fat burner I've used, uh, to date, um, at hostile supplements, hopefully we'll be working on something similar to that because I'm not going to make it some crazy thing that no one's ever heard of. Cause the best thing that's worked for me is that easy caffeine, aspirin, ephedrine with a couple other ingredients. Like I said, just the green tea, the tyrosine, and then you have a good fat burner. It's not really a complicated thing, but I use them more for energy than I do for fat burning, but I know they're helping with fat burning as well, especially when you start adding ephedrine and things like that. If, if you're just taking caffeine, I feel like it, it, it's a stimulant. Obviously it works, but I feel like once I add in the, F, the ephedrine and things, I feel like I start getting a real benefit. Um, but yeah, they, they're definitely worthwhile if you're getting ready for a show or something like that. I, I don't see a purpose using them like in the off season. Um, but if you're trying to get lean fast, then that's the way to go. Sean Thor says, I recently got a quad tear, but scared to lose size on my leg. I know you had something similar with your tricep and couldn't train them. So what did you do to keep your size on any given injury? Keep training. I'm not training that muscle. I don't mean that. Like when I tore my quad, um, well, I'll use my tricep as a better example because my quad, uh, I, I didn't do the right thing. Cause I was trying to get ready for a show. I was three or four weeks out when it happened. So I kept doing cardio. Not a good idea. If you have a tear, it's significant. What I would do if I quad, let's say I tore my right leg, my quad on my right leg, I would still train my left leg and I would still stay on my diet. So what I do for my tricep. Okay. My tricep surgery I just had, 
the reason I'm still 280 pounds and I haven't lost a ton of muscle is not because I'm still on a ton of gear because I'm not. It's because I've kept my diet intact. A lot of people, when they get hurt, they start binging, they start missing meals. Oh, I'm going to eat a pizza. Oh, I'm going to eat the. As long as you stay on your diet, obviously you're going to have some cheat meals there here and there. You're not 100% training and you're not 100% focused. But as long as you keep, you know, 80 to 90% of your diet intact. And then as long as you train wherever you can. So if I tear my right quad, I'm still going to go in and do one-legged leg press with my left leg or one-legged leg extensions or I'll do all the single leg stuff with my left leg. Okay. And then I'm not going to stop training back. I'm not going to stop training chest, shoulders, arms. I'm still going to do all that stuff too. And, you know, they've done studies that show if you train one side of your body, it will help the other side of the body and keep it from atrophying. Now, that's not why I did it. I just feel like, why not train around the injury? It will keep me more mentally focused. It'll keep me in better spirits and it'll keep me working to get through this injured time until I can start training my right leg. So my opinion to you is I would not change anything except I would stop using the leg that I hurt until, you know, I have doctor's clearance or physio clearance or anything like that. And then you can start training again. Uh, Ishan says, what was your training style regimen while bulking in the off season? What did vary from coach to coach or are other factors? I've done my own off season most of my career. Uh, John Meadows did one of my off seasons. It was a good year. That was a good off season. And the reason is I followed his training protocol and his training pro protocol, although it's very hard, was not as high volume as mine was. So I felt like my body recovered faster that whole year. I still went really hard, but it was just less torture on my body. So I felt like I grew at a better rate and I felt like everything looked, looked and felt more fresh. Um, but most of the time I do my own off, off season diets too. And, um, I follow like a 90, 10 rule, just like John does, uh, you know, 90% good diet, 10% shitty snacks and binges and, and stuff like we shouldn't binge, but 10% of it would be shitty food. 90% would be healthy food. And that's really how I built my physique from the time I started to now. I never focused on staying lean. I never focused on staying shredded. I just focused on, let me eat as much food as I can naturally, uh, unprocessed food, natural unprocessed food, and then add some stuff on top to make it taste better and to make it more enjoyable. So it would be like the 90, 10 rule, 80 to 90% of my diet is chicken, rice, avocados, steak, you know, pasta, oatmeal, eggs. And then the other 20% would be like snacks on top of that. You know, if I was pizza or burgers or, you know, I'd have flavored rice cakes or I'd have, you know, cookies or whatever. It didn't matter. I just, I had a base diet that I followed. And there was little additions on top of that. Um, Brennan G 1072 says, is it bad to get a majority of your fats from natural almond and peanut butter with your meals? I can't say it does. No, I can't say there's anything wrong with that. Uh, obviously people are gonna tell you variety is better. You want to get some omega sixes from your olive oil. Um, you can get some omega threes from your coconut oil. You get some MCT oils that way too. There's like going to be a lot of people that tell you variety is important and I'm not going to dispute that, but I've also done off seasons where I was like, all I'm going to eat is fucking cream of rice or oatmeal and peanut butter. Cause I love that together. 
And that's going to be my carb source and my fat source. And I'm just going to have different sources of protein that I want to have with it, whether it be beef or chicken or whatever. And it works. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's going to hold you back. That's for sure. So you know what I mean? I think it's okay. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't worry about that too much. Tom Williams, 1205 says, what made you want to do your own supplements in any, in an already oversaturated market? And what do you think will make yours stand out? Um, without getting too heavy into this, because I've already answered one of these. I've always wanted my own thing. I've always wanted my own. I can't say anything about any other companies. Okay. But what I can tell you is this, I wanted to have a product that I created myself with the ingredient, the exact ingredients I wanted that I felt were necessary for guys that lift like I do whether they're pro bodybuilders or just serious lifters or people that are serious about their uh, serious about their gains in the gym. I wanted to create something that other people could take and go, yeah, this has everything in it at the right dose at the, at the clinical study dose. So I trust this. I want to, I want to use this because they're not trying to fool me in any way. They're, they're showing you right on the label exactly what's there and exactly what dose to have it in. I don't know. Uh, you know, I see a lot of marketing strategies and I see a lot of things and I'm like, you know, that's not fair and that's not telling the truth. And that's not, I just want to put something out and people might not like it, but I just want to be like, look, this is real. At least you might not like it. You might love it, but I will stay. It's real. I'll stand behind it. And I wanted to have that to say like, look, I'm not going to play these little games with you. I'm not going to cut corners with you. I want to be able to give this to you. So you guys go, Oh, okay. You know what? I trust this. This is fucking exactly what it says on the label. So there's that aspect. And then there's, um, I've been in the industry for 20 years as a bodybuilder and I want to stay in the industry. And I was like, what is, what do I love the most about this industry? And it's actually giving back to you guys. Like, it's like I have a ton of knowledge from doing this for 20 years, but I don't know how to channel it. So I do these Q and A's and I do the podcast and it's rewarding. And I'm like, okay, I can do the supplement thing because um, I can do it the way I think it should be done. And when you add all these things together, it's very rewarding because I'm like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to send all the stuff I learned in 20 years. I'm going to give back. I'm going to do these Q and A's timers up. I'm going to do these Q and A's. I'm going to do these podcasts. I'm going to do these things and I'm going to offer good supplements. I'm going to offer good clothes, not just t-shirts that are fucking hundred percent cotton bullshit. But like, I just want to, I want to do it right. I want to do it my way. I want to give the things back that I think I like. And I think everybody else that thinks like me or trains like me will like also. So hopefully that answers your question. I'll do one more because that was a long supplement answer. So I want to do one more answer for you guys that's not related to me um okay this is another supplement question i'll skip that mcclashlin sean says at which point did you find out your natural test levels did not come back could you have prevented it with more time off versus 
uh, on versus on or is TRT an unavoidable sacrifice ball to builders have to make? I kind of answered this question. Sorry, guys. I kind of answered this question already um, talking about TRT and, and all that. So I'll skip that one. Uh, Stang 32123 says, do you have to use dye in your supplements? Okay. I'm going to skip the supplement question too. I apologize again, guys. Uh, Vatican Monk says, what are things that a beginning bodybuilder should look for in a coach? Planning on doing my first show next August. No idea what to look for in a coach. I've answered this in previous Q&As, but I'll touch on it again real quick. Uh, credibility is the most important thing. Okay. Find a coach that you know is credible, that you trust, that you're going to listen to, that has a history of clients that have done well. The guys, let's say it's not somebody who just like did one show and they have like three clients and, and one of them did well. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that guy. Don't always pick people that you like. You like their personality or you like the way they look. That does not mean they're a good coach. You want to pick somebody who's like really out to prove that they can be a good coach. You want to pick somebody who has a list of clientele that you can see for yourself. Oh yeah. You know what? This person has like 50 or hundred people on the roster and they all look pretty good. That's a good indicator. Uh, you want to ask around locally. You want to ask people that you've, that have worked with that person. Maybe if you know somebody that's worked with that person, shoot them a DM. Hey, how was the coach? Did he get back to you often? Did he, did he respond within a day at least when you were prepping or two days at least in the off season? Like, did you have to send him check-ins all the time? Did he get back to you about your check-ins? Was he too expensive? Did he, was he able to work with you on the money side of things? All these things are, are part of the formula. Now, the most important thing for me is, well, credibility, of course, is one. But the next most important thing for me is if they have the credibility, I want to know, can this person mesh with my personality? Do I look up to them enough to be able to listen to them? If you hire your buddy who's like, I can help you, and this guy doesn't know shit, but he kind of does, you're going to second guess the whole process because you don't, I almost want to look up to the person that's coaching me or like see them on a little bit of a pedestal, not necessarily as bodybuilders, but like nutritionally. Yeah, this guy really knows his stuff. Like I want to feel like that. If I feel like this guy really knows his stuff, that I'm probably going to listen to everything he says, even if I don't agree with it. I'll probably be like, you know what? That's not how I would do it. But I trust this guy. He knows his shit. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow what he says and I'm going to, I'm going to do it. If I know before I even enter into an agreement with this person that I'm probably not going to listen to them or I'm probably not seeing them on that higher pedestal or I don't trust the shit coming out of their mouth or they don't have any credibility, they don't have a list of clients, I'm not signing with them. I don't care if they're free. I'm not going to trust my physique with somebody that I don't trust. I have to see credibility and clientele. I have to see an honest person. I have to see somebody who's not going to bullshit me. Until I had a coach one time tell me, yeah, man, come on. You know what? I'll help you for free. I'll take you to the Olympia. We're going to be top five at the Olympia this year. I never called him again because First of all, I've never been close to the top five at the Olympia. And if you're fucking selling me a bill of shit, then I already don't think I can trust you. I don't want you to blow smoke up my ass. I don't want you to fucking be like, yeah, you're the greatest bodybuilder on earth. You can beat everybody. I don't want to fucking hear that. I want to hear somebody go, 
you know what? You're going against Rolly Winkler this year or this show. He's pretty fucking amazing. He's been top three in the world before. It's going to be tough. We're going to have to be our best to even come close to beating him. And that still might not be enough. I want to hear somebody say that. I want the fucking truth. So your coach has to be honest. He doesn't have to be a marketing specialist. I don't want a marketing genius. I don't want somebody to go, oh, yeah, man, you're the great. Just pump my fucking tires until I feel so good. And I walk on stage and I embarrass the fuck out of myself because my coach promised me I was going to be great but he really didn't know shit on the nutrition side of things. List of clients, trust. Do you see them as a, as a knowledgeable person and you, you put them on a little bit of a pedestal and do you guys mesh? Does your personality mesh with his? When you're freaking out and you're anxious, are his words going to calm you down? All, all these things matter. And then lastly, get references. Hey, I'm thinking about hiring you for a coach. Send an email. Hey, I'm thinking about hiring you for a coach. Do you have a couple clients that you maybe work with that I can talk to? I just, uh, you know, I'm feeling out the process. I'm talking to a lot of different coaches and I'm not sure who to go with. Or just find out, go on their Instagram, find out who they worked with and just DM that person. Hey, what'd you think of your coach? What was the experience like? What was the the contact like? Ask a bunch of questions, man. But most importantly, make sure there's credibility. Okay, guys, that's part one. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Um, I know the answers are long, but I try and keep them in depth. Uh, I'm going to try and get back and do part two soon. And I'm going to get through all 300 of those questions, no matter how long it takes. Thanks for watching, guys.